Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 21st episode of the Footballs Scouting uh, Scouting Podcast. I'm Paul Duncan uh, at the Football, and today we have uh, Joe uh, Joe Rules from Mile High Report. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, I first met Joe when he was one of the first uh, publicly uh, first sports guys with more than 5,000 followers, first like established. Um, sports writer to actively shout out our guide and we got like we were, got really excited because we want to we want people to recognize our work and fr- uh, from there we went on his show to talk about some of the players on the Broncos and uh, I decided it would be a great time to bring him on my show to talk about football and scouting and talk about all the things that we love talking about on this show sound good sounds good so, uh, Joe, uh, we always start off the show talking about background. I find background to be very interesting because when we know what a person who is in a spot that most of the people would want to obtain, like a lot of people really want to move up either in scouting or in journalism, I feel it's really great for um, people to know the past because when you know uh, the past, people who are listening will be able to say, hey, I'm in that spot he was in then, and I can be in a place similar to where you're at in the future. So I always love hearing about how people get to where they uh, went. So uh, tell me about your childhood. How um, how did foot uh, your love of football start from then? <laughs> uh, so I got into football in eighth grade. Uh, for the first time, we played contact football that was not flag, uh, and I just kind of fell in love with it. I at one point I was at a friend's house and I tried to he had direct like he had the satellite. So I actually turned on the Steelers thinking that my dad's a Steelers fan. So I should watch them. Uh, I actually thought they were kind of boring, but I really liked the Broncos. Uh, I thought the linebacking core was really, really fast and it was really fun. So and it was a position I had wanted to play. Um, I actually didn't at that time. So I started watching them, got really obsessed with them. Uh played football all through high school uh in my first year i kind of bounced around in college for a minute uh at one point i ended up at northern michigan and i actually got a job as a filmer and eventually because the running back coach was also the video coordinator uh and didn't really know how to do it uh me and him learned it at the same time so when he left for a different job i was the de facto video coordinator for a while uh Kind of throughout that, I kept trying to do writing. Um, I had a cousin in radio, so I got to do some, like, quote-unquote sports parts for her. I wasn't really paid for it at first, um, but it turned into a sports show at a nearby town. Um, I've covered sporting events through doing board operations. Um, Kind of like that's like – it was like a hodgepodge of just, like, continuing to try to do football at every avenue I could. Uh, and then after doing the video coordinating job with Northern, uh, I kind of hit the summer after graduating my bachelor, like with my bachelor's degree. And it turned out Andy Benoit of Sports Illustrated was looking for contributors. So I messaged him and sent him some of my writing. I had written a couple of uh, places for free, uh, sent him some of my work, sent him my resume, sent him a couple clips of like my radio stuff. And he brought me on, um, 
because the video coordinating stuff had kind of fizzled out because I couldn't get a grad assistantship at Northern, uh, they weren't going to give out uh, athletic sport, uh, grad assistantships. Uh, I was going to have to pay for my grad school if I wanted to continue working with the football team because they wouldn't hire me if I didn't. And I didn't want to do that. Uh, I actually went overseas. I actually took like two years essentially off from the NFL altogether. I paid attention really casually but i did mostly just working for andy benoit um and switch illustrated cut up video clips did a lot of editing did a lot of factual research uh stats stuff like that um kind of following the nfl as a whole and then trends and stuff like that but i wasn't like really following the broncos really closely and then uh kind of through an accident from a recruiter i ended up back in the states and once i landed back in the states i thought well if i'm here i should see if I can write for anybody. And I reached out to Mile High Report. They asked me for my resume and some of my writing. I sent them it and they were interested. Once I joined Mile High Report, I felt as though they could use more film breakdowns. Um, I thought that was an area where I could contribute and actually have like a niche. So I started doing that. Um, I thought I was kind of bad at it at first. I probably still am. But at the time I was doing it just because it was a lot of fun. Uh, I've since, since I started doing it, I decided to go through the scouting Academy with Dan Hatman. I recommend it if you are looking to get into football. Uh, so I learned how to do that a little bit better. Um, and then I've kind of just continued to plug away at it. Um, I really like analytics. I really like film. Uh, so I kind of try and marry the two in a lot of what I do. Uh, I'm also very, very cognizant of the fact that I don't know everything. So I try to admit that when I write, um, if I'm, curious about something or if i'm not sure i will lay it out um i'm not one of those people that's going to tell you that i know more than you just because i've done it um because i probably don't um but i'm always trying to get better it's kind of like what i've always tried to, how i've tried to always approach this what well, uh what's really awesome about um that was uh, i've worked with andy benoit too andy benoit was one of the uh, first people that um i've worked uh, i work with in a professional sense and i did uh, a lot of the same stuff i ended up helping him uh, chart all of julio jones's uh, targets for nice. an uh for an article for an article i would always get like the andy benoit articles first and would always double check them for um fact um for for research and yeah, that that was one of the first one of the things that I've been doing on the side, just trying to help uh, over the past how, how many years. And I still have a great relationship with with him today. And that's just really awesome that we uh, mutuals. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's awesome. So scouting in football is a very, very uh, complicated thing there's just yep. so many move, moving parts and even like the people who have like verified check marks on twitter and even people with influence like they they don't know everything nobody really knows everything uh because football is very complicated and how schemes schemes work what were some of the things that you did to kind of like bridge the divide try to learn more about uh schemes and um different kinds of coverages and runs uh, run blocking schemes to help you become a better scout. What was yeah, that process like for you? A lot of it for me is just trying to digest as much like quality, like resources as I can. Uh, I read a lot. Basically when I first got obsessed with football way back in eighth grade, uh, I went to my local bookstore at the time back when they had bookstores 
and I bought basically every football book I could find. Um, I for a couple of years I was spending basically all my allowance and or money I was getting from other like side jobs and stuff on that. Uh, in terms of like scheme stuff, I I, I felt like the scouting academy really helped me with some of that. Um, just because there were so many resources that Dan Hatman hooked me up with that were some of it's just on the web, some of it's like Bleacher Report breakdowns, um, some of it's inside the pylon. I recommend them. Um, they're not as like big anymore, but I know a lot of the resources they put out are really really good. Um, Riley Colst is a really good receiver breakdown. Uh, he has a site or they have a site. It's two people. They have a really good site in terms of like route stems and stuff like that. How to beat different different dbs uh again it's the internet really helps the fact that like all of it's kind of out there there's so many people that are interested in football and they're all approaching it from their own areas of expertise that a lot of it's out there you just have to find it um Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff has helped me And again like i'm still getting better at all times um i feel like coverage is one area that i can continue like I, i think everybody's like that but not everybody but i feel like a lot of people approach the game like that because coverage is so complicated and also because the way broadcast cameras kind of show it, you don't see it unless you're actually going out of your way to see it um, with an all-22 view. Uh, but I think uh, Cody Alexander does a good job of breaking that stuff down. Uh, I also have Cameron Soren's book. Um, I recommend them. Uh, it's the Past Coverage Glossary. It's, I think, I want to say it's like 20 bucks. Um, I recommend that. Um, that approaches it from like a Nick Saban, uh, like terms and stuff like that. Um, that kind of stuff helps. Um, and again, I'm still getting better at all times, but I feel like that just continuing to kind of have that mindset of being curious and trying to learn it. Exactly. Yeah. We, getting a, uh, we should get a good football book club going for the summer, get, get ourselves uh, all prepped on that knowledge. Uh, books are all, always a great source. Um, I was definitely more of a football history kind of kid growing up. Uh, I was lucky I didn't need to spend money on books because uh, I had a library in walking distance. Oh, nice. So uh, me and like the concept of libraries is libraries are very, very close to me. Uh, I was always able to learn a bunch of stuff reading, uh, reading football books. And it's always been kind of like uh, interesting because I'm only 25, but like uh I've noticed that people are always like kind of like surprised that I'm able to like pull up like football information from stuff that should be before my time just because I read so many history books. And that's uh, that's always fun. Like I was probably the only person ever to try to compare TJ Vasher with Harold Carmichael. So <laughs> yeah, probably that's one of the that's one of the things that I felt I did very well at. Um, what have you just learned about um, how have you gotten better as a scout over the past however many years you've been working over at Mile High Report? What have been like the uh, main things that you have learned? Again, and, and I, I know I already said it, but I think the Scouting Academy really made a huge difference for me just because up until that point, the first year I was doing Mile High Report stuff, I didn't even really think about how to break it all down. Um, I would just watch players and kind of try and figure out like what they're doing and write down like what they're doing well, what they're not doing well. Uh, but when I went through the scouting academy and honestly, I, I would not mind going through it again. I just need to like put away the time. Uh, but what it really broke down for me, what talking to Dan Hatman really helped me with is identifying different traits, like the critical traits, the position specific traits, uh, and kind of like how to evaluate them. And then also he gave like going through the academy, I kind of learned like a different rubric, like how to grade. Uh, and up till that point, I didn't really I, I, it hadn't really occurred to me that it made sense to grade like that. Uh, and so ever since then, I've I've 
try to use that when I evaluate players, uh, whether it's pro or college. Um, and then when obviously when you're evaluating like college players, you're trying to project not only the actual grade in relation to like what you're seeing, but how it would actually carry over into the pros. Yeah, that that makes sense. Like there's so many different like traits and ways to describe traits. I remember when we were trying to talk about our critical um, traits for our book, we were like, should we put ball tracking with ball skills? Do we put um, do -hmm. we just call it separation ability or do we call it uh, route running? There's so many different ways that we can kind of um, describe things and you can have two traits that kind of like uh, intersect, like, for example, uh, route running and separation ability or route running and quickness, route running and route savvy. It's like all the traits are kind of like similar. So we're actually like stopping to think and trying to break down what traits you want to what you want to study is very key. Mm -hmm. Um, The trait the traits that I look at are the basis for all of my reports. It's like I I look I look at the player and I scout for traits first. Usually there's eight eight for each position. And then from there, I try to find like the details of why something is a certain way. So for example, if a quarterback's accuracy is off, I may try to look at the uh, footwork. I may try to look at where his hips are. Does do his hips always point to the ball? Does he have a weird release angle? So I start with the traits. Then I try to say why for the traits. And then that's kind of where my scouting report goes. And then usually I can kind of, uh, I, I hope I've built the sense enough to be able to like look at um, a player's traits that I give them that are compared with the NFL and just say, oh, this guy would be a 5-7 in our system, which would mean he is like a draftable player. So like seventh to high priority free agent and should be able to make a team. So that's, that's kind of what I've done. But yeah, learning and understanding traits is definitely one of the most uh, important um uh things to learn how to do uh have you ever had like a player that you felt that you were really wrong on but you really learned a lot from being wrong about in the past couple drafts uh i mean yeah definitely i just can't think of one off the top of my head um i was pretty i uh, well josh rosen comes to mind because i was pretty high on josh rosen this was before the scouting academy but I've always prioritized uh, experience and accuracy when it comes to quarterbacks. And so with Josh Rosen, like as somebody who has played that long and then he was actually pretty accurate, I I had overvalued him. And granted, I know I wasn't alone in that, um, but I think I underrated how important athleticism and the ability to play out of structure actually was or is now, um, which is one of the reasons why I pro- like I approach that and try to learn from it is I look at like Mac Jones because I – I feel like there's some carryover to that um, where I, and that's not to say that it's like a death knell for Jones, but I think like it puts you behind the eight ball where you have to be good enough at the other things that make up what being a good quarterback is to kind of minimize or mitigate the issues that you're going to have from the fact that you can't play out of structure as well. Yeah, exactly. Like playmaking is kind of something that I just realized very quickly is becoming a bigger and bigger thing. Um, the only quarterbacks who have been really able to have any success without like 
good athleticism or good ability out of structure or guys like Tom Brady and Drew Brees, but they have the experience to overcome that. That's why uh, when um, I was joking with Searle and we were trying to figure out who our best comp was for Mac Jones, and essentially we came up with uh, like Benjamin Button, Drew Brees, like he's coming into the league as like 39-year-old Drew Brees, and it was just such it was probably the closest thing we can come up with based off of the traits. And I mean, obviously he's nowhere near as experienced, but that was kind of the only real way that we could see him having success in the NFL. Whereas opposed to somebody like Zach Wilson, who has that ability and who has that athleticism, you can see him having success in more systems and with more different styles of teams. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I very much uh, agree with that, and Josh Rosen is a very good example. I, me particularly, I remember being low on him, but I didn't actually watch his film back then. But I just saw that he had a whole bunch of concussions and never really moved well, and that one was that was kind of why I had him at QB five, and I I more lucked out on my 2018 QB rankings than anything else. <laughs> um. So what, uh, hmm. who are some players in the 2020, uh, 2021 draft class that you find are very interesting or are players that you would want your team to take, or you think would be just absolute steals at their spots for uh, other team? Oh man. Uh, so I'm still working on my actual board. Um, but there's a couple players on here that I really like. Uh, I actually really like Aziz Ajulari. Um, for the Broncos, I think, and again, like, as I, like, when I make a board, uh, it's always geared towards what I think the system fits are with the Broncos, and that's one of the reasons why Ojulari is higher on my board than a guy like Phillips or Quiddy Pay, because Ojulari is able to play, like, you watch his tape, and he stands out as somebody who would be able to step in and drop into flat coverage if he needs to, um, he looks fluid dropping into space, but at the same time, he can meet a pulling guard. He can set the edge. He can work as a force player. Um, I think the big question with him and the thing that he's going to need to improve on to like really thrive in the NFL is his hand usage. Uh, and that's one of those things like in the Broncos system, like you draft him, he'd be sitting at edge four to start. So like for me, those concerns are a little bit less just because he would have the time to work on them. And he would have three players ahead of him to learn from and the coaching staff. So like for a guy like him, I'm, I'm pretty high on him. Uh, another guy I guess that stands out to me is Javante Williams. I really like Javante Williams just because his contact balance is just silly. Um, it it it's the best contact balance I've seen in terms of scout like when I've scouted running backs uh, coming out of the uh, coming out of college. Uh, he's also capable of playing pass pro. He's willing. He he looks good enough as an outlet receiver. He's not necessarily going to thrive there, but he couldn't can do it. Um. Yeah, I like him. I also like the fact that like when he was playing for North Carolina, he thrived in a gap scheme, a lot of pulling, and that's something that the Broncos use, so he would be able to step in. You already know he can do it. Uh, he knows how to follow his blockers that way, um, displays the patience to do so. Uh, yeah, those are those are kind of two that first come off to come up to mind. I I like Justin Fields. I know that's like controversial right now because apparently the NFL is pretty low on him. Or it seems like the NFL is kind of split on him. Um, but I actually have him as my QB2. Uh, and I'm actually, like, low-key really hoping he falls to nine for that reason. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, the Justin Fields thing has been just so puzzling to me. Like, Justin Fields was the cute consensus QB2 at the start of the season. He was the consensus QB2 at the middle of the season. About three-quarters of the way, more pe- some people were like, you know what, Zach Wilson over Justin Fields, but it's close. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now it's all of a sudden people are saying, like, Trey Lance and Mac Jones and, heck, in the case of Chris Sims, Kellen Mond over Justin Fields. And it's just very confusing to me because it's like we all knew what the guy was. He was great last year. He was great this year. He has accuracy. He has athleticism. He plays against good teams. He played great against good teams. Uh, what do you think? What is your theory on why Justin Fields is falling? I think it comes down to concerns about his mental processing uh, and part of it. And, and I know the argument about this is that the Ohio state offense makes him take longer in the pocket because that's, that's part of it. Um, the Ohio state offense uses enough option routes in their route concepts that there are times where he is stuck sitting in the pocket, waiting on somebody to break. Um, and because of it, it looks like it's him being slow, but it's not. But the other thing is there are times where he is locked onto his primary receiver and he's slow to eliminate that option and move off of it to the next person. The other thing that he does that I think is actually a concern is he needs to throw with better anticipation. Um, that combined with the fact that his release isn't super fast is going to create issues if he doesn't speed up. Um, so I think NFL coaches will evaluate it differently. And that that does cause a split, I think. Because if there's concerns both about his arms, like the speed of his his release and the fact that he's not necessarily seeing the game and throwing people open, um, it would make it really hard for him to be an NFL caliber passer. Grant, again, I think he can improve on those things. I think there's enough evidence that he's good enough at those things that I still feel really comfortable with him. But I know that, that he's not for everybody for that reason. Yeah, that would that would make sense. I mean, the way... I- I, I'm kind of having some flashbacks to Justin Herbert with Same. Justin Fields, where it's like people are questioning him and saying, oh, Justin Fields only throws screens. He um he, he never throws over the middle. He's not consistently accurate. But a lot of those things were about the scheme that he was in and the what they were asking him to do. And then it, to me, like, Justin Fields has much better accuracy than um, Fields has much better accuracy than Herbert, but a lot of those things that we want to see him work on seem to be more scheme dependent, and uh, I'm I'm at least hoping that he has the accuracy and he definitely has the athleticism to kind of wor- uh, work through those issues if you know given given some good coaching. The other thing that I'm kind of wondering is why are we going so hard after um, Fields is um, like processing in his system when Trey Lance came came from a system that runs more than passes, only goes against teams that are of future accountants. And pretty much uh, whenever I watched him play and was watching his highlights, the guys that he was hitting were essentially wide open one read kind of options why would anybody have like lance over fields you think i think part of it's the tools um and also i think part of it's the fact that lance wasn't exposed in terms of like to being quote-unquote like the guy for as long um and i know part of that is just he played against he, he he was essentially playing for alabama of like the d2 level um, and I think that helped him in terms of the fact that like, even when he was having an off day, he, he could rely on his team. 
Also, the fact is he threw zero interceptions, and that stat line is going to make people dumb, I think. I know for media members it does. Like, people will just stick to his stats because they don't actually watch the tape and don't realize that he actually threw a couple passes that, like, should have been intercepted. Um, But also, I – and again, this is a me thing. I feel like Lance was always hesitant. Like, if if the receiver was covered or if it was, like, a riskier throw, he would run it. Like, he's risk averse. And for me, that's a concern because it's harder to teach a guy to be aggressive than it is to teach a guy to, like, temper down a little bit. Like, that's easier for me to coach. Like, I I would think that that's going to be easier to coach. Yeah, I mean, usually if you see risk-averse quarterbacks, the first thing I think of when I think of risk-averse quarterbacks is a nice, solid backup. Like, uh, I've been seeing some some similar stuff with the quarterback I'm watching, Peyton Ramsey, and it's just um, and it's like I'm scouting him, um, asking the question, hey, could he be a backup in the NFL? And it's like I would like to see him not take those uh, dangerous chances because if I ever were to start him in, like, an emergency situation, my best idea would be to, hey, don't mess up the game, kid. We're going to make it nice and easy for you. Don't. Don't don't be like Ben DiNucci that one game where it was just like you messed it up. Mm-hmm. So seeing seeing that in a quarterback is very uh, is very concerning. I know my biggest issue with Lance is uh, I haven't like dove through the tape like really gotten into the tape. I've just kind of you know like skimmed it over. Is he only has like 300 career passing attempts, yeah. and that, that is really really scary. I went back and looked it up, and I could not find any quarterback taken in the first uh, first three rounds with less than 300 attempts. If uh, especially if you uh, if you include uh, Cam Newton's time at JUCO. Yeah, and then on top, like for me, the big concern with Lance is going to be his accuracy. Um, I just it, it's a concern. His accuracy beyond like the short area of the field is kind of hit or miss, and part of that is going to be mechanical, and part of it is that he has a really long release. And some of that stuff can be, like, tightened up. And, again, I – like, you only got to see the broadcast view of what he was doing at, like, his pro day. So, like, coaches might feel better about that now than, like, we do watching his tape from 2019. Um, but that that's a concern for me. And then also, to your point with the, the so few attempts, I want to say he only had 22 attempts when trailing. Yeah, like, that was what, one of the things that I was, like, wondering. Like, I was trying to find out how many pass attempts did he have down in the fourth quarter, and I don't think the team was ever down in the fourth quarter. So we have no idea if he has, like, any that, that what we think of with a quarterback, that Joe Cool, that Tom Brady coming down from behind, because he's never been behind, because he's on a FCS team that has probably two NFL linemen in it with uh, Ray Duns and Cordell Volson. Um, and good defensive talent, like it's, it's going, he's going to be a very difficult evaluation. And I feel compared to a lot of the other scouts I've been seeing on the internet that, uh, I'm a, I'm a lot more hesitant on Lance just for those reasons. Maybe if I take a deeper, more look at his film, I'll, I'll fall in love with him. But where I'm standing right now, I have lots and lots of concerns and like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, let's say Trey Lance falls down to Denver at number nine. I think it might Denver might pass on him because those are all very legitimate concerns. I kind of hope not, just because a lot of his same concerns are just as big or bigger with Drew Locke. But that's just me. And, yeah. I, and I might just be jaded on Drew Locke because I've watched so much Drew Locke. But 
Yeah, that's that's kind of the d- difficult thing. Uh, I just feel that everyone kind of is willing to lock in five quarterbacks taken in the top ten. Oh yeah, yeah. I and think. um, I I just kind of have it in my mind that one of these five quarterbacks is going to go on a Lamar Jackson slide into the uh, end of the first round, and it's going to be either Mac Jones or uh, Trey Lance. And I've kind of started getting it into my head that it is going to be Trey Lance. Uh-huh. I think I mean I think Fields is right in that same ballpark though. And I and I think Fields is the most obvious prospect of the three of them from the outside. But I think the again like just hearing the way NFL teams seem to be concerned about him. And again, maybe it's all smoke and the, the Niners are going to take him at 3, but it sounds like it, it sounds like NFL teams are convinced that Matt Jones is like a Tom Brady-esque maniac in terms of like his preparation and competitiveness. And again, it's hard to see that kind of stuff from like where we're at. Uh, teams seem to be, again, based on like reports coming out, seem really good with Trey Lance's mental aptitude based on the fact that North Dakota State puts so much on his table in terms of like protections and like changing the play and stuff like that. And then you hear about the fact that like, like just today, uh, Justin Fields was mocked to the Broncos by Lance Zerline and like he's plugged in. And in the way he wrote about it was like, well, they're going to take a chance here. And I'm like, two weeks ago, that seemed like a really obvious choice to me. Like, all of a sudden, these guys are treating this like – so, like, I don't know if there's a red flag we just haven't heard about with Fields or if they're just that concerned about his, like, processing. But but I, I do agree with you that there's a pretty decent chance that one of the three could fall. Yeah. Hey, you never know. What if uh, what if Fields goes to number two? I feel that it, like people are making it seem like a foregone conclusion that Zach Wilson goes to the Jets. And I honestly, because I uh, think Fields would be a perfect fit for the Jets. I mean, everyone's saying he'd be a perfect fit for the Niners. And uh, the Jets have the same offensive coordinator as what the um, it's LaFleur. Uh, Mike LaFleur is going to be the uh, offensive coordinator for the Jets, and he was right under Shanahan. So whoever, like, the Jets won at quarterback was also going to be who the 49ers would also feel comfortable with that quarterback. Mm. So, I mean, there's just so much things that can happen. And come on, like, on, I remember on January 1st when uh, Fields was beating Clemson, people were like, Hey, is Fields QB? Yeah, is Fields yep, QB one? Yep. QB one? This is this the QB one? And then this many uh, eight weeks later, it's like, oh, is Fields QB five? All, all of these um, people who are very plugged into the NFL are acting like he has no shot at being in the uh, first two. And then watch Justin Fields run a four four at his pro day, uh, which, which would be tomorrow as of recording. And hey, maybe the whole entire narrative will change. We'll see. I know yeah. uh, unofficially he ran a 4-4, and he was saying he could run faster. Yeah, that's why I think it is so uh, so important for uh, to get your scouting reports in and get everything come by, uh, get your board done before all of the hype oh, and same. all of the hubbub. Well, so, it's like the, the Jalen Phillips thing today. Everyone was blown away by the fact he was super athletic, and it's like if you watch his tape, like it, he's super athletic on tape. Like you can you can tell he's an athletic guy. Yeah, I mean, I knew I knew he was a really athletic guy, and I probably gave him one of the lowest tape grades out of any, like, analyst. I just was not all that convinced that he was going to be good against the run. Maybe it was because I walked through his UNC tape twice when the, uh, UNC ran for 300 yards, pretty much uh, most of to his side. And I'm just like, this guy's almost, like, quitting on plays. This guy just doesn't 
seem very interested in helping in the run in this game. And like, I was pre- prepared to give him kind of like that uh, six, eight, which is a first round grade. But then I just saw that and I just had, I had way too many, way too many concerns uh, over that. And then when you take into account his injuries, like I put it on Twitter today that I would not take just uh, Jalen Phillips to the fourth round, which sounds crazy to a lot of people, but I've done my uh, research on his injury history. I know he's had four concussions in his career. I know he's had ankle surgery on both of his ankles. I know he's had severe wrist damage. Uh, I went and I ranked every, uh, I did research on every single player's injury history this year, which we put into a version two of the draft guide. Uh, I believe we're probably the only draft guide that has comprehensive injury histories. And Jalen Phillips had the highest injury risk score of uh, any player tied with Riley Cole, who like tore every single ligament in his knee at different points of time like those were our only two like um i think we called it a severe injury risk so i don't i do not think i can take like a player with uh let's say a first or second round grade in the first or second round when he also has a severe injury risk and he's one hit away from being retired for the second time people have floated phillips at nine for and i just i can't see it like because again not it's not just the concussions to your point it's all the injuries. Mm-hmm. You don't take that guy at nine because everybody, every other team in the league knows that guy has those injuries. Like I, 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 I would take a gamble on Phillips later in the first, just because I do think that the talent is there, but there's no way I would take him that high. And the only reason I would take him in the first still is because if he pays off, having that fifth year option would be worth it. Ah, uh, so you, you'd be going in for the first year option, but now, it'd be yeah. at the bottom of the first is how I would look at him. Mm hmm. But yeah, that would be that, and you would be very aware that you would be taking a very, um, very big there. risk. Yeah. And if you were to interview him and he didn't interview as an A plus, and you're yeah. like, yeah, if he like interviewed as a B, you're like, okay, now this is a second round guy. Exactly. And I have heard some rumors about him kind of quitting and being kind of a, uh, I don't want to say a prima donna because I don't like no, personally know the dude, but um, he's actually when he retired, he was about ready to start his career as a musician. He comes from a family of musicians, and um, he worked on producing, like, hip-hop tracks and was uh, rapping. And, uh, like, I hate to kind of, like, make that, a, like, assumption over that, but I've heard from uh, heard from people that, yeah, he's, he's, very, he's very, like, full of himself. He has a kind of, like, a star ego. And if you want a guy with a star ego and he's actually a star, then that's great. But having a person with a star ego, who's your rotational edge rusher, um, then, you know, ego and performance isn't going to match and there can be some, uh, be some troubles. Maybe I'm just uh, jaded because the Browns whiffed on Chad Thomas a couple years ago. And Chad Thomas was similar edge rusher out of Miami who had a very uh, promising music career, produced songs for like Rick Ross and Drake. So now I'm like, drawing a connection that isn't there, but that's kind of another thing I've been looking at with Jalen Phillips. Did you know that? I knew he was, I knew he had interest in music and he came from a musical family. I didn't know how, like how deep it went. Yeah. Like um, that was what he was planning on doing uh, during, during retirement. He actually went to Miami to specifically, uh, cause they have one of the best music colleges in, uh, in the country. So yeah, guys like Jalen, uh, Jalen Phillips are definitely a bit, um, a bit more challenging. Uh, another edge rusher uh, that is um, another challenging evaluation is Jason Owe. Have you taken a look at him at all? 
I have. I don't have enough tape to like feel really confident in what I have. Uh, I have two games, and I normally, when I do a scouting report, I want to have at least three, and preferably five or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I've seen of OA, I, 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 I get it. I get the appeal to him because the the speed, the straight line speed, is really really freakish, and I do understand that like he's very very new to the sport. Um, I also his hands are rough. Like you, if you take him thinking that you're going to be getting a starting caliber edge rusher early, I think you're going to be disappointed because I think he needs to work on his hands really badly. He doesn't have a rush plan. He doesn't really know what he's doing with his hands. Um, and I think he's, he's a good bender, but he's not, he's not so freakish as a, like as a speed rusher that he can make up for the fact that he doesn't really do much with his hands to get himself free. Okay. Uh, were you were you surprised at his, uh, at his uh, pro day at all, or did you no. know that was coming? No, no, I knew it was coming. And that's, again, like, I, I feel like, and, and again, like, on top of watching the tape as much as I can, I try to digest as much scouting reports from other people that I trust. And so I've known that OA, I also, same with Micah Parsons. I knew Micah Parsons was going to be freaky. And so, like, everybody else was, like, drooling over the fact that they, these guys were both 4-3 athletes. And it was like, people knew. Like people knew going in that they were gonna be freaky, so I I get it. Um, and and always burst in the fact that he is so new to the sport. Like I would take a chance on him, probably at forty, like for the Broncos. I I wouldn't mind him at forty, but I don't think you take him and think that you're gonna be getting a a starting caliber player right away. Yeah, I think what is it? Uh, Searle did the report on Owe, and he really really uh really liked him in our system. Uh, he was thinking that he just had the freaky level of athleticism that he can survive in the NFL as a starter year one, even with only like borderline hand usage. I think yes, Earl gave him a solid grade at hand usage. It was his instincts that uh, instincts and motor was where that um, he was very very low on him. He's also pretty underrated as a run defender as well. Yeah, so I do think I do think that, and I think I think NFL teams are going to see how much he improved as a run defender and convince themselves that he can become a good pass rusher, but based on like the same kind of idea. Um, so I, I mean, I get it. Yeah. Uh, OA is who I want the Browns to take at uh 26. That is my uh, dream pairing getting miles Garrett and Jason OA on the same, on the same defensive line, maybe move uh miles Garrett into the three technique right next to OA. And it's just like blink. You're dead. <laughs> tell awesome. me that. Tell me that wouldn't be fun. It'd be fun. I, I, and the thing is, like, I think if he ends up going to a team where he's like the second rusher, I think it'll help him. Yeah. Or even like, or even like the third rusher yeah. or is like a, a, a sub package guy that would, uh, that would be the, uh, really beneficial. I think uh, a risk for him is like, if you take him with the idea that he's your number one guy and that that's who opponents are like basing their slides on, that's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. The other fun thing about Jason Owe was that you were just looking at his testing results. I almost want to be like, can we put him at corner? <laughs> can he cover? Can he cover Kyle Pitts down the field? Should he be your kick return with a good with that good of a three cone time? Uh, whenever he comes out in Madden, it's going to be really fun to just kind of see if he can like change yeah. his position as a tight end or just do goofy things with that because that is unbelievable. That is all time great being able to run fourth. 4.38 or 4.36 at 250 pounds. That's just and and great uh, agilities and uh, ver- jumping. Like that's just that's just scary. Yeah, and, he's uh, gonna be a favorite in Madden for sure. 
Because hmm. speed, speed plays in Madden more than anything else. Absolutely. Uh, and from what I've heard, some people are saying Boye Mafe from Minnesota might be able to beat some of those numbers next year. Oh, dang. Yeah, Boye Mafe is the um, next kind of like freak edge coming from the uh, coming from the Big Ten. Uh, so w- I know that the uh, Denver Broncos really need uh, secondary help, correct? I know you guys just recently yeah. um, yep. uh, Kareem Jackson. Um, corner is definitely one of the more difficult positions to scout. Yeah. But uh, how are you looking at the uh, corners and safety board uh, so, for this year? Yeah, and so the Broncos are in a weird spot in terms of the fact that like Mick Fangio has a very specific like what he wants in a corner. Uh, but he's on the hot seat, and the Broncos just hired a new GM who came from the Vikings, who have spent a ton of draft capital and free agent dollars on cornerbacks over the years. So I'm I've tried to evaluate the position group based on basically anybody might be on the table. Um, but then I also try and keep in mind, how do they fit the Fangio defense? Uh, and one of the big things the Fangio defense is that's like making it kind of complicated this year is the fact that Fangio doesn't ask his corners to press as much as most teams in the NFL do. So Patrick Sertan and J.C. Horn are both. Like, they're the top two guys on my board, just like probably everybody at this point, because Caleb Farley fell down. Um, But the thing with, like, Sertan and uh, Horn is both of them have some questions about their ability to play in off coverage. And neither one of them ran three cones or short shuttles. So, and this is a bigger concern for me with Horn than it is with Sertan, because I feel like Sertan's tape, when he has played off, um, he doesn't look necessarily special off, like, in off coverage and shifting, but he looks functional. Like, I think you can survive him there. Um, I think you, you're you better off pressing him and using him in man as much as you can. But the thing with Horn is I don't know how well he – like I don't know his transition, his click and close. Like, I have questions about it. Um, I think he can be okay, but I think if you're taking him high first, like that might he, – he's not really a great fit for the Fangio defense unless they adjust. Um, obviously, the thing with Caleb Farley is the medicals because he didn't work out his pro day. He opted out. Um, and you guys have it in your reports about his back, but – his back and then the ACL. I didn't know about his ACL until I started really digging into it. You have it up now. Yeah. Uh, but for me, like, those are both big concerns for a corner who you haven't seen since 2019. Um, yep. I would still, if, again, and I, I'm not, like, if I'm an NFL team and I meet with him and, like, I feel comfortable and everybody checks off on the back, I would still take him in the first again because of that fifth-year option. Um, and that's how I try to, like, weigh my board is, like, realistically, you got to consider that kind of stuff. Um, but right now he's the third guy on my board, but it's, it's one of those things like I can't check off on that stuff. Um, I like Greg Newsom. I like Asante Samuel. I really like Elijah Molden. Uh, those are kind of like my big, like the big, probably the big six. Um, I also like Paulson Adebo. Um, I think he's a nice fit. Uh, I need to watch more Sean Wade. I know that you scouted him. I know I've talked to you about him. Um, I need to watch him more because I don't know necessarily how he'd fit for the Broncos defense. And yeah, I have questions about that. Yeah, it's Sean Wade is tough because like he played so well as an outside corner, um, inside corner, but struggled so much as an outside corner. But it was actually just made public by his father, uh, assuming he's, he's uh, yeah telling the truth is that he had groin surgery before the season and um, he played with a turf toe. So. And at least when I was scouting him, like, yeah, he was, like, beaten on a lot of highlight reel plays. He got put in a blender by Cornell Powell. He got mossed by Jahan Dotson. But he still has that great speed. And, like, his 
like how he was just able to stay on the hip pocket of almost any receiver he was going against vertically was special. Like he's going to be able to cover speedy receivers and he's got really good physicality and can tackle quite well. So that alone makes me think he should still be considered a top six corner. I know for us, we had uh, Caleb Farley at one. Uh, we have him with obviously the in, uh, the injury risk. Uh, he's mm-hmm. a moderate injury risk on, by uh, my uh, little scale I made. Then uh, Sertan and Horn are like 2A and 2B. Then Elijah Molden's our CB4. And Tyson Campbell uh, what is it? Tyson Campbell, Eric Stokes, Kelvin Joseph, and Sean Wade are all kind of in that next year. And we're also high on Paul Sinatibo. Like, that's another really hard person to scout because we really don't have tape from him for like 20, like, it's almost like 24 months now. It's like two years. Yep. Without seeing him uh, really play. So, corner is def- uh, definitely a, uh, a fun position. Uh, would you want Micah Parsons at nine? No. No. I. I, I feel very conflicted about Micah Parsons because the allegations and all that stuff with the lawsuit is so there's so much of there's so much to that and like again like I'm not trying to like damn him because I don't know like the whole situation but it doesn't sound great so like that's a concern I also don't think linebackers in general are valuable enough to take in the top ten I don't really like him in the first round unless they they really bring something special to the table. Because you're passing on a player that you can have a fifth-year option for and really have, like, a cost-benefit to. Um, so, like, for me, like, linebackers are kind of like the running backs of defense. You don't take running backs in the first round if you're trying to keep, like, keep in mind your budget on your cap. And I think linebackers, are not, like, they fit the same kind of mold. Yeah, I guess I guess that makes sense. Broncos are in a very odd fit where this year, I mean, if they don't get a quarterback, like the best players in the draft class – this year are a wide receiver and mm-hmm. a tight end, which is where you guys have been mostly taken care of. And I mean, unless you want to like trade Jerry Judy and pick up Devonte Smith at nine or something of that nature, or you want to go crazy and work Kyle Pitts and uh, Noah Fant, it's going to be very, very difficult to get the best player available and a good fit. Yep. And I know everybody's going to say just trade down, but, but everybody uh, wants to trade down. And if you don't have a quarterback, it's going to be really hard to trade down. Exactly. And uh, what was that? Uh, I've been listening to a podcast with Neil Stratton, who was talking with former uh, GM Doug Whaley. And that's what yeah, that's what he was saying. Everyone's like, trade down, trade down. Well, everybody wants to trade down. Uh, I would love to see somebody like do the math and actually try to figure out what is like the exchange point at which the uh, at which trading up then becomes the right decision to do. That's something I always think about. If everybody's saying trade down, if everybody's saying running backs don't matter, when at what point does it become a market inefficiency in the mm-hmm. opposite way? The big and again like the big thing for me because like Javante Williams, if if it wasn't the contract thing, I like Williams enough that I would consider him in the first. The big thing for me is just look at like the top value contracts for running backs and then you look at the top value contracts for like an edge rusher or like so if you if you hit like let's say you take Jalen Phillips in the first round and four years in he looks like one of the top ten edge rushers in football, getting that fifth year on him, you're saving enough cap space that it's worth taking that guy over a running back because giving a running back a first round contract, you're not really saving any money on that con- on that guy anyway. And then the fifth-year option, you're paying him, like, a top guy. So, like, 
it's a it's a that's market inefficient in my opinion. But I I do agree with you in terms of trade down because I think unless a quarterback is there at nine, the Broncos are almost definitely going to be stuck at nine unless they're just taking like a third round pick to drop. Yeah, so that's that's a that's a really uh really rough position, especially uh you just kind of have to hope that whether it's Mac Jones or Trey Lance, if that they're either the guy you want or if that they, they aren't the guy you want, that another team will be uh, willing to trade up to get mm-hmm. the guy that they want and will be able to provide you with. I mean, maybe it won't be like probably franchise changing like uh, what is it like the 49ers did but it'll be kind of enough for you to get a uh, fair value uh, any other uh, prospects mid-round or late-round prospects you want to bring up because we always love talking about a day three sleeper here uh i mean i like kylan uh kylan hall or kylan hill sorry kylan um, hill yeah um, I actually don't have him on my board yet, but I've, I actually watched his tape back when I was looking at running backs because, uh, well, the Broncos, the Broncos had a bunch of questions about Philip Lindsay and then obviously they let him go. But at the time they were also looking at Melvin Gordon, Melvin Gordon got arrested for a DUI and then he beat the DUI now. But at one point there was questions about the fact that if he got suspended, the Broncos were going to void his contract. So I started looking at running backs thinking, if the Broncos are going to dump both the running backs, how are they going to replace them? Because, like, you obviously have to replace them. And Hill's interesting because he got caught in the Mike Leach offense this year. There was some personal stuff going on, so he ended up actually opting out partway through the season. Um, and he didn't really get to run the ball much. So I feel like he's going to go pretty, not low in the draft, but I think he's going to be a day three guy. Um, probably day two, day three guy. But I would think maybe third round. I don't think he's going to be a second round player. But you go back to his 2019 tape, and I would feel comfortable with that guy. Yeah. Uh, what is it on our grading system? We kind of have Kylan Hill as just one of those all around backs where he doesn't yep. really have any real weaknesses. He's fast. He takes care of the ball. Good contact balance and good burst. Yeah, his, his instincts are good, not great. He can maybe do something out of the passing game. It's really just kind of comes down to character uh, with him because I've heard really bad things. I've heard some pretty negative things about him being a real, real pain in the butt in the locker room and that those personal things are more on him than Leach. Yeah, usually when when there's like a conflict between a coach and a player, NFL evaluators are going to take the side of the of the coaching coaching staff. So that's that's what you're going to need to do your research on. And that's one of those things where us as analysts, we can only look at articles. We can only look at what's publicly available. But NFL teams can uh, can do a lot, a lot more. All righty. Any anything else? Are you ready to wrap up? Sure. All right. Have uh, w- Can you uh, give us your socials, your podcast, oh, yeah. all that uh, fun stuff? So I write for Mile High Report. Uh, if you want to look uh, look me up on Twitter, I talk Broncos, but I also talk NFL stuff as well. Um, I am at Joro underscore NFL. Uh, I also, my podcast is Cover 2 Broncos. Uh, been doing a lot of draft stuff lately, so... Mm-hmm. And his uh and his Avi is of Bojack Horseman. So if you're looking for looking him up and you see a horse, don't be afraid. I know I was at first because you know horses are pretty scary. They run fast. They kick pretty hard. So if you see the horse, you're in the right uh you're in the right place. All all right. Uh thank thank you guys so much. I'm Paul uh I'm Paul Duncan. 
uh, also known as the uh, at the football on Twitter. Thank you for watching, and we'll have another great show for you coming soon. Thank you, guys. Bye.